0: Welcome to the Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops podcast. Hi, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. That's Greer McVeigh. And you're Whitney Wiley. (laughs) Hi, Whitney. (laughs) How are you?
1: I'm fine. I'm I'm uh enjoying my wonderful day. It's a beautiful sunshiny day and I got new makeup. So I'm just and, playing well, just playing in my makeup. This, you know, that's well, what women do.
0: Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for the audience, they can't see the makeup. <laughs> you've got some weird shade of lipstick thing going on.
1: You know, well, I do. It's interesting. It's an interesting shade. I think it'll, I think it'll ultimately soak in and and I, then blend with my Okay, that you have a
0: lipstick that has to soak in says <laughs> everything that needs to be said
1: about this lipstick. Well, let me just say this. And this is something, you know, I know we don't well, we have more I know we have more women Um, audience members than men, but I know we have some men out there and all women don't like makeup. So that's fine. I'm not a huge makeup person, but I decided that I was like, I want to give myself a smoky eye. What is that? How do you do that? So I did this whole makeup tutorial. Which, by the way, our niece. Did it look Jasmine, like
0: the one? Did it look like the one in the commercial?
1: <laughs> yes, it did. Well, you know, we have our we have our niece Jasmine who's like really into makeup, and she actually right. has her own um, makeup YouTube blog, YouTube right. channel. Right. So I probably should have just gone straight to Jasmine and said, Jasmine, you know, why don't you take care of your aunt? But I go on the you I just happened to be flipping through some stuff, and I saw found this stumble across this. YouTube youtube tutorial. So I was doing this smoky eye, and you can't see it now. I had to wash it off, but it was like, it was like a, it's like, is that a smoky eye or like a, a black, smoky, eye? black eye? A black eye, and smoky in the bandit eye, a, a raccoon, a bandit, okay. <laughs> raccoon okay. eye. It was like, what is that? <laughs> You are
0: way off the mark
1: today. <laughs> but I think I think well, now that Val Valentine's Day is long over, so next year I'll, I'll this I'm putting this out there. I think it would be cool to have your guy do your makeup for you. Oh my god! <laughs> and maybe then you know, like it just seems like a no. romantic thing. No, no.
0: okay, no, well, anyway. no, absolutely, absolutely not. I. <laughs> I, well, I have no idea what you're trying to accomplish with that one, but no.
1: You no. wouldn't want Michael to do your makeup or your hair and like, like just be like, okay, you know. so we're going to move on <laughs> <laughs> and we could talk about
0: all kinds of things that men can do. Um, a man who is not a trained makeup artist or a hair professional, I'm going to say hands off. I'm just gonna leave it at that. Although I will say this, Michael has three daughters and so maybe he knows a little something about hair. But it just I'm seems not, like an intimate thing. Trusting. And we want yeah. intimacies.
1: No. We're over it. Well, when we, talk to, when we talk to our guest today, I think Carla's gonna maybe, you know, cause I, I have it on good authority that her husband is a nice guy. And, you he's know, a keeper. And he's a keeper. No doubt. And that just seems like something. Okay, what about this? If you if you had an accident and you broke your hand, should he do your makeup then? I don't want to be, do out oh. be out in public. I won't be out in public. With a broken <laughs> so, hand, you just got to be out of commission for us. <laughs> okay, it's, anyway, it's okay. let's get on. It's okay.
0: It. It's okay. So, uh, with that, we're going to uh, invite our guest today. Uh, Carla pasco is a success principles coach, and she's going to share with us a little bit about her story. She is an author in the book, Women Who Empower, and she's also got a program that she's going to talk a little bit about where she helps uh, her clients work through grit and resiliency. So Carla, how are you?
2: I'm awesome. I'm enjoying your conversation between you and Greer. (laughs) I'm, I'm sure it's like this all the time.
0: <laughs> uh, it is like this all the time. It's a little nuts, but I, 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 she's a keeper as well. Your husband's a keeper. My sister's a keeper.
1: So yeah. I have, I do have my days, some better than others. And this is one of those, I don't know, I'm feeling a little loopy today. I think I'm just so excited that it's, you know, sunny and bright. And it's, it's a, you know, it's just a day to be fun.
0: It is. is. So Carla, so you have uh, contributed to the book, Women Who Empower, and your chapter is entitled Developing Grit and Resilience. So uh, tell us a little bit about your story in this book, and um, then we'll go from there.
2: All right. Well, you know, when I um, signed on to to do this chapter in the book, you know, I really, um, I think I was so ready to share my story and hope that it could help other people. So I really just, you know, sat down and I wrote it all in one sitting after I talked with Kate and um, really just want, you know, I had shared my story with people over time and I really thought, you know, having this avenue to be able to share it and hopefully help other people you know I think I was just like you know most people I was a little girl with a dream you know I wanted kids and a family and that was really all I wanted and you know going through life you think oh you know I'm gonna get there and it's gonna just be magical and um You know, for me, I remember being in high school and thinking, what am I going to do now? I don't have any options of getting married and having kids. So that's obviously going to have to wait. So, you know, what am I going to do? So I went ahead, I went through nursing school. But really, in the back of my mind, you know, the main thing that I wanted was a family and to get to that, you know, that point. So um, I met my first husband, Jeff. Um, I was in my early 30s you know, we dated for, you know, like three years, we got married. And I thought, finally, you know, I'm going to have this life that I've waited this long for, because back then I felt like I had waited a long time for it to happen. Um, You know, all my friends got married in their 20s, some got married right out of high school. So I felt like I was, getting a late start, really, on what I wanted, and um, we had talked about having children, having one or two, but waiting until we'd been married about five years, and for some reason, that was magical to him. I was ready right away, but, you know, I was willing to compromise and just wait until it was a time that he felt like it was right, and so after we got married, actually, in Jamaica, we had this destination wedding that was just, you know, perfect, picture perfect. And then, uh, for our five-year anniversary, we are going to go back to Jamaica to celebrate our five-year anniversary, but things felt different. Like I could just tell like something's not quite right. Um, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Not long after, I mean, probably within a month of coming back from that trip. Um, you know, he decided, um, that he wanted a divorce. Told me that he never loved me, that he never wanted children, and he wanted me to be able to just go on with my life and have that. So that was kind of the beginning of me, like my feeling, like my life just fell off the cliff.
0: You know what? I can understand that. And we've had a couple of um, guests on the show. Um, we did a series called Overcoming, mm-hmm. <laughs> had guests who had very similar situations to that right where it just kind of blindsided with you know a a spouse who shows up and says yeah I don't want to do this anymore and so you know where did you find the you know you're you're hit with this out of the middle Mm -hmm. of nowhere and of course obviously you're here right? And yeah. <laughs> Greer's already mentioned that you've got a an, an, a second husband. So, but between then and now, how did you manage to just put one foot in front of the other so that you could move through that or pass that or, or whatever terminology you use for that?
2: Yeah. And I think, um, especially when you are totally blindsided and um, you just kind of feel like, you know, your feet are knocked out from under you. And we were building a new house. Um, and so there was like no indication that something was going to change. Um, not after um, he asked for a divorce, uh, my mother's cancer came back and she was actually given a three month prognosis um, to live. And, you know, I just remember feeling like everything was kind of collapsing around me and how was I going to, like move through it. Cause some days I felt totally paralyzed by the grief and you have to allow yourself the time to feel the grief because you have to own that and honor it, but you just can't stay there. It's just not going to serve you. It's not going to help you get to where you want to go. And so for me, I just tried to dive into every self-help book I could find I did grief counseling. I did divorce group therapy, all the things that I could do just to improve myself because it was really, you know, a devastating blow when you feel like you've kind of orchestrated your life the way that you want it. And then, you know, suddenly it's not going to happen and you have no control over that when you feel like you're just hanging on and you've got a little bit of control of what's going to happen in your future and then you don't so I think for me it was first real having to accept that that you know okay I can't control that I don't know led him to that level of betrayal um but ruminating about it and living with that constant, you know, I would play that conversation in my head over and over and think, oh, what did I miss? How did I miss Mm -hmm. this coming towards me? And, you know, that was, I was never going to figure that out. And I was never going to be able to change what happened in the past or decisions that I made. So I really had to just kind of like stop, focus on myself, what I could do, to improve my own development because that was really all I could control at the end of the day. So that was kind of the first thing I did was just pour into anything that I could and try to pick out what are some of those strategies and things that I feel like are gonna work for me.
1: Carla, let me, let me ask, I just have a couple of questions about sort of the, the I guess the breakup of your marriage. Um, the first question is, did you and your first husband, um, I think you said his name is Jeff, right? Jeff. Mm -hmm. So did you and Jeff ever talk about why if, because you said that he said he never loved you. He never loved you. It wasn't like, I don't love you anymore. Right. So what, what kinds of pressures, if you know, was he feeling that compelled him to get married in the first place? Was he feeling... Like, I'm just at that time and it's just what you do, or did he? Th-
2: did you, you know talk about, about that? Well, I think for him, the things that he, you know, told me at the time was he felt he could have a better life with me. And we traveled a lot. We, he, you know, he would say things, it was so like irrational, it didn't even really make sense to me at the time but he would say you know you had a nice home you had dogs you had you know your life seemed together and I think he felt like entering that life with me was somehow going to fill some void that maybe he had I don't know he was just stepping into something you had already created that
1: he liked the looks of from the outside exactly he thought okay in time I'll get into this or Right, it'll work. And then it just sort of didn't. So yep. Which leads then to my second question, which was to have someone say such a thing, mm. did you take that, you know, and I read, I read your, um, your the, the, this story, but you did, obviously didn't have the, the chance to get into the whole big background sure. and all of that. But did you take it personally? Were you, did it tag your self-esteem or did oh, was yeah. it like, okay, that's him. You know, oh, no. I know how great I am.
2: <laughs> no, I wasn't there yet. Okay. And I really did think what's wrong with me. You know, why doesn't he feel that way towards me? Why doesn't he want that life with me? And what did I do wrong? I I went totally through all of those okay. phases mm-hmm. that you go through and, you know, To me, it was all like the grieving process. So that was probably my part of my bargaining. Like, what did I do wrong? What can I do different? You know, and trying to figure out how I could mold and adapt. You know, there was um, a part of me that thought, I'll just give up the notion of having children and make this work. And um, he definitely did not want me to do that you know, he was like, no, I want you to go on with your life. Um, you know, when we were able to talk later in life after, you know, before his death, because he did die of um, cancer, um, you know, he said he knew he was too immature. He thought, you know, he was ready for that. Um, if he had been a older or at a different level of maturity when we got married then he would have wanted the same things so I I knew that he was having lots of regrets and you know just trying to reconcile it in his mind but I was so far beyond that I was like you know because he wanted me to forgive him and I said you know I did that long ago because I would not have been able to work through that grief if I didn't forgive you and move on because you can't hold on to the past and create your future at the same time.
1: That forgiveness seems to be a very um, a common stage or phase Mm -hmm. that a lot of people that we talk to go through. And it may be counterintuitive or you just don't Mm -hmm. wanna do it or you don't wanna give them the satisfaction or whatever but it really does release you it does, and allow you to move to move forward in a different way,
2: right? To, it, to it's like a, a turning point. It is, and I remember specifically reading that in one of John Gray's books. It was probably you know Mars and Venus going through divorce, but when I had dove into all that, and that was the first time it clicked for me that forgiveness was for me, not for him, really. Mm -hmm. and and you had to be sincere with it and you had to mean it and I I really did get to that point where I was able to say you know what and I said it out loud I felt like I needed to say it out loud I didn't say it to him at that time but it was really like you know what I forgive you for this betrayal and for misleading me and you know I'm gonna go on with my life how do you do that you know I I, just practically how
1: do you if you hold pain or hatred or bitterness or resentment or whatever that those those negative emotions are, right. how do you rise above that? Not so well, much that you let it go, but you just, you're like, I can't be stuck. I can't let that saddle me. How does one do that?
2: Well, and I would say to even back up a step, probably the first thing that I embraced when I felt so low and I really felt like, you know, I I don't know how I'm going to get through all of this grief. And, and then obviously it was mounting up, you know, it was my divorce and then my mother's death and, you know, all of those things combined and they were different kinds of grief, but they were very real. And the first thing that I did actually was to focus on gratitude and you know I think you hear a lot about gratitude and forgiveness and for me actually you know having to go through both of those very consciously is what really was a turning point I think and so I started a gratitude journal and I thought you know at the end of every day I'm gonna you know find three things that I'm thankful for for that day and you know, I joke about, you know, I had two dogs at the time and sometimes I had to separate them on my gratitude list because I couldn't come up with three things, you know, because that's how low I felt. But once you do that as a practice, it shifts what you see around you. And I think once that shift happened was when the forgiveness was easier because I saw I have lots to be thankful for and if I continue to focus on that loss or what went wrong with that because I was never going to fix it it was never it wasn't going to propel me forward in any way and so I remember clearly reading that about the forgiveness was for me to move forward and I just, you know, I think after doing the gratitude for a while is when I really realized, okay, I'm ready for this next step now. So the forgiveness was really probably the second step for me.
1: That's an interesting idea, uh, concept, because at some point, and we'll, as we talk, we'll Mm -hmm. learn more about that. But at some point you get, to a point where you look back and you're like, well, actually, had it not been for that, I've, you know, look at the doors that that open. So let's sort of how, as you started to move forward, how did that, how did you get then to the next, to the next phase?
2: I think, you know, once I was able to kind of forgive him and just let go of all of that kind of negative energy and, It allowed me to start thinking about the future and I really think that you can't create the future you want when you've got one one foot in the past Um, and you can't have those opposing thoughts at the same time you can't have negative thoughts and positive thoughts at the same time so I was so interested in making sure that I saw the good things around me and that I saw this phase as it's temporary. It's not something that's going to be forever and I will be able to get through it. And so then I started thinking about the future that I wanted. And I think if you, if you focus on the things that you can improve within yourself, it's often the things that you would look for in a mate. When I started, I remember writing down a list of values so that I made sure that we, the next time we had our values matched up. And I thought maybe that was part of what what I didn't focus on enough the first time, uh, just to make sure there's congruency there. And as you write down the values and the traits that you're looking for in someone else, then how are you reflecting those same things? because you're only going to be able to attract what you're putting out there. And so I think that's kind of where I was is you know doing all that I could to improve myself so that then that was I was going to attract more of that towards me.
1: So when you look when you reflected on your earlier days with Jeff were were do you think in hindsight that you were not in alignment or were you just young you said you were were you both in your 30s early 30s yeah
2: I was about almost 32 and he was 30 so it wasn't you know like we were young I think I think I made some assumptions that did you if, make assumptions, or did you overlook things, or a combination of? Both? Probably both, because okay. I think I made some assumptions that if you're wanting to get married and you say you want kids, then then you both want the same thing, and that you have similar values. And um, and I think you know we we had a similar upbringing. We grew up in the same area. We didn't know each other when we were younger, but you know, so very similar. Uh, background. And so, you know, I think I made assumptions that those are all things that are going to make a great partnership. And um, so those were some of my assumptions that I don't think we talked about those things as much as we should have. And I assumed kind of that if you're wanting to get married and go the next step, that you want all of those things that it means to me when you do that. And then I think I overlooked some of the self-centeredness and I didn't overlook his immaturity, but I, I chose to not focus on it, if that makes sense.
1: Well, so, how, tell, so tell us about when you met Andrew, mm-hmm. which was a shorter courtship, oh, right. a much shorter courtship, but it seems like it must have been a little more targeted and, and, yes. and, and deliberate. So tell us how that yeah. sort of how that transpired.
2: Well, and I can tell you, you know, I was in a position. Um, I was a leader and I worked long hours. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to try this online dating. It was very new then. Like, you know, my friends were worried about my safety. They thought, "Oh, you're going to meet some serial killer and that's going to be the end of you. And so, um So even, you know, I really like I had my goals for how I was going to like put myself out there and how I was going to meet someone. And so I tell you that to say like Andrew is um, British and he was in the Phoenix area visiting his brother on a 90 day visitors visa. And so I was doing this online dating and meeting some really nice guys, but, you know, a lot of people that weren't in the same place I was in my life. And I was certainly not going to make that mistake again. And um, but when I met Andrew, we talked on the phone several times before we met, you know, I just it just felt like we were at the same place in our life and wanted the same things. And he had been married once before and not had children, but that was what he really wanted as well. And so when, you know, people laugh at our our dates, but like probably our second or third date, we did like um, three different personality tests. Uh, we did Myers-Briggs we did uh, the disc profile and so we really did a lot of those things to make sure we kind of knew um, our personalities and we uh, did love languages you know so we we sort of did a lot of this intense work within our first you know few dates <laughs> so it, because not quite the gonna... same
1: as doing each other's makeup you him doing the <laughs> makeup but, it, but it's what yeah. it's concept what were you saying? Wait, you're
0: an sorry. organizational management professional. So mm-hmm. did was that stemming from your education that, d- did you bring up doing those? Or was that something that you <laughs> both were just sitting on a Saturday
1: night going, what should <laughs> we do? No, oh, let's take some personality. Let test. me pull out my disc assessment. Well, I'm yellow, well, you're blue. <laughs> I have green undertones. I revert to my red when I'm under stress. That's
2: that's a good point, Whitney. Probably a little context would help. So actually, so when I was going through my divorce and when my mom passed away, I was in graduate school. And so I was getting my master's in organizational management, which was a huge focus in leadership. And at the same time where I worked, we were doing a lot of that with our team so that our team of leaders, we really knew how to better understand each other. And then actually Andrew's background, he had come from some of those things from a business perspective as well and really valued um, you know, understanding personality types and how you relate to each other. So we both had a real interest in that, and and it and it's really interesting because now when I look back, my first um, husband was, you know, if you know anything about Myers Briggs, he was like a strong T, a thinker, logic, you know, whatever, and I was so extreme F, and. And Andrea's too, which can cause some problems, I will say. There's a lot of emotionality in our home, (laughs) but but knowing that that's how Jeff made decisions, and for some reason, he made an emotional decision when we got married that probably went against his nature of thinking through things logically, so he was incongruent with his own self and making those decisions, but so I think it was really just kind of the timing, but I think it's what you mentioned earlier, Greer, it's all part of your journey, right, and you, I thought, you know, Jeff was my destination, and that was, where I was gonna have my family, but he was actually just a vehicle on my journey because I would have never moved to Phoenix. We lived in Memphis and he had a job opportunity here. I had never lived outside of Memphis, so we came here. I uh, Didn't know anyone. And I remember when I was going through my divorce, my mom was like, are you going to move back home? And I'm like, no, mom, I've built a life here, I have friends here, I have a great job. I'm in graduate school, I'm building a house, you know, like, no, I'm staying here. And if I had not been here, I would have never met Andrew who was supposed to be here for 90 days, but quickly decided he would change those plans. And we knew that we wanted children. And so it did move much faster, but we were much more in line with our values and what we wanted out of life. Even though we came from very different places, we still had similar upbringings. And I think for me, that was one thing I I think it, you know, I thought you had to have somebody that was like you or came from your same background. And, you know, that couldn't you be further to from the, the
1: same things and to right. be on the same trajectory. Yep. So you work with, you're a counselor, a coach, or describe how you coach. work with people.
2: Yeah, so I work with individuals really just to help them have a more fulfilling life. I uh, did the uh, training for Jack Canfield Success Principles, and I think that was kind of the culmination of a lot of the work that I wanted to do to have a better life and to continue to grow myself, and so I remember going through that and, and feeling like, you know, that's something I want to be able to use and to help other people, and then I had the opportunity to write story, which was, um, you know, very cathartic at the same time to just kind of get it all out there. But, um, so that's kind of, you know, how some of it all intertwines. So we're going to dig a little deeper
0: into this in a moment. We're going to take a brief break for a word from our sponsor. We are back with Carla Pascal. Um, We want to continue listening to um, chatting with her about her story and how she moved past um, a situation in her life where she was grieving relationships, the loss of her mom, um, and how she put this back together. And part of her story she, she shares is about um, focusing on gratitude and focusing on letting go of the past so that you can focus on the future. And Carla, you talked about, you know, and Greer's asking about sort of the transition and, and who you were that was different when you went into your first marriage and in your second marriage. Um, and you've described some of the things that you did in order to, you know, grow in your journey. What do you think is the most important thing that you did for yourself that allowed you to move to a place, particularly to open up for love again?
2: Right, you know, I, I, I remember it, um, It kind of just hit me that, you know, as a leader, you know, and having been in leadership and management roles you know, you can focus on your team, your department, what are the outcomes that you need, um, you know, setting goals, having a vision. And then I realized that I wasn't doing that for myself and my own life. I was doing it for, you know, the organization that I worked for and was very successful at doing that. And I thought, you know, why am I not doing the same thing for myself? And I think that's when I really got clear on, what I wanted, and then what were those steps I was going to have to take. And although, you know, there were days, and as you know, when you go through a grieving process, you know, there are peaks and valleys and, you know, you think you're done with the anger phase and then you find yourself back there one day. So it's honoring that, allowing yourself to work through that. But one day you'll find that you are beyond it and you really can just make sure that you're doing something every day towards the goals that you have and what you want to create. And I think that was really the turning point for me. I think the, you know, the gratitude and the forgiveness helped lift the veil a bit so that I could get out from under the grief, but then really it was, what did I need to do strategically and tactically to be able to kind of step forward and create goals for myself and how I was going to put myself out there. And like you said, most importantly, open up my heart again to someone else.
0: And it sounds like you were very intentional, you know, at some point it became, these are the things that I'm going to do because this is the
1: life that I want, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. as as i talk to people um and doing this podcast is very helpful in this in this regard because we do get to hear stories and people i mean people don't stop us on the street I wanna, <laughs> you know i don't want to make this podcast seem that big but you know i i get a lot of people um and friends of friends who who, who people say, do stop me on the street well because <laughs> you're an international best selling author um <laughs> But um, now you made me forget what I, my train of thought. But um, that the the thing that I've learned that I do for myself and that I try to I'm 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 not a coach, but when I give advice, solicit it or not, um, it is make try to move forward. Try to just keep moving forward while you're dealing with whatever it is, right? And you need that break, and you need to be in a cocoon or a, a curled up in a fetal position in a closet or in a corner or whatever it is that you've got to do to cope to get through, okay. do that work. Yeah. Try to make, you know, babysit, don't, don't go back, right? Try right. to, if only, if all you can do is get up and go to work then get up and go to work or get up right. and put on and get dressed, take a shower, you know, cause some people, you know, when you're in the throes of it, mm-hmm. you may find yourself you don't want to, you don't even want to get out of bed. Right. You know, taking a shower is like a major accomplishment. Oh yeah. And if that's, if that's the accomplishment, if that's all you could do, and like you said, write in your journal and if the best three things that you could think that you're grateful for Mm -hmm. are your dog's, what are they, Humphrey and Bogart? What are you doing?
2: <laughs> well, one of them was Bogart and Tessie.
1: <laughs> Bogart and Tessie. So it's, it's like, you know, if that's all you can do is, is scrape together, you know, what, what you're thankful for, just a positive thing or a step forward or a step toward whatever. I don't know quite what I want to do, but I know it's in this direction. Right. And just baby steps toward that direction while you're healing over here right. eventually as you come out of that depression funk yeah. yeah downtime or whatever that is you're you're you've you know you reunify with the goal right, right. and and
2: then the goal becomes a little bit more Right. clear and, and 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 focused so yeah you still have to have the self-compassion to yeah. allow yourself to feel how you feel but you can even like set time limits like say you know what I'm gonna really feel sorry for myself for an hour and then I'm gonna get up and take a shower and go for a walk or whatever it is and mm-hmm. some days it really is that that you have to break it down that small to be able to to allow yourself to feel the pain, but then still manage to put one foot in front of the other. And then when you get past some of the intense grief and you still have this vision or this goal, you know, I know one thing that is in Jack Canfield's teachings is really you've got to chunk that down so that it's manageable and bite-sized pieces. And that each day, you know, even if you can just, do a few things towards that goal you're still having forward momentum even if it it may feel like it's off in the distance and it's not possible you're still moving towards that rather than staying stuck or moving backwards
1: yeah it's and the there was a quote there well it wasn't a quote but there was a sentence a statement you made in your story that really is, is sort of uh, symbolizes this podcast Life lemons and lemon drops sort of if life gives you lemons and you make right. lemon drops, lemonade or you make lemon drops um you said optimism to you optimism means seeing the lesson or the good in all situations right therefore if life delivers difficult times I earnestly believe it will pass right but it's yeah. it's like you'll get through it right right there's not a whole lot that human beings can't get through I mean people have gotten through wars and famine and devastation and you know all kinds of things it's like you can get through it and but it really is about what 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 was the lesson in this or what what can you take from this on your journey right and Mm -hmm. I like that that metaphor right that you're you know, on a path, you're on a road and, you know, somebody might be a vehicle, another vehicle on the road or a vehicle to right. that final destination, but that doesn't make them the final destination. Right. And, you know, but seeing the, uh, you know, extracting the, the lemon drop out of that lemon right. is, is really a big part of what's gonna help you get through tough times.
2: Well, and that's what helps you develop that resilience and that grit. You know, we all have challenges in life and we all have things that um, knock us down. And that certainly stopped me in my tracks, you know, going through an unexpected divorce and my mother's death while I had a demanding job and trying to get through graduate school and moving in a new home. Like, I just really felt like things were crumbling around me, but I, I, it was always drilled into me from my parents that you know nothing happens without a lesson or a reason and you're gonna get through it and I just kept thinking I, I don't know what I'm supposed to learn from this but I'm really not enjoying this and can I get my lesson please and just move on you know so that that's how I felt some days but I think I just kept thinking this can't be forever I really, don't think that it can. And I know that that's not easy for some people yeah. to be able to see that or make that shift. And so I think it's really important who you surround yourself with when you're going through those tough times. Like I can tell you, I I went through grief, the grief group counseling divorce group counseling and I thought that was going to be helpful oh my gosh like talk about I was depressed when I got there I was even worse when I left and I thought I can't do that anymore that's not for me because it pulled me down instead of lifting me up and I had some great friends and I remember my aunt was just like a rock for me when I was going through all this and even my boss at work and I I just remember thinking I've got to spend more time with those people because they want me to come out of it. They don't want to keep me there because, it, you know, sometimes if initially having people that understand what you're going through is great and but you just can't stay there because sometimes it benefits people to have you there And you may not see it at first, but then you have to move towards, what is it, those five people that you surround yourself with is who you're most like, you know, who you spend the most time with. And so I remember thinking, I got to make sure I'm, I am spending my time with people that have my best interest at heart. And that's really what helped, I think, as well, when you're taking those little steps each day. That you have people that really want you to get all the way through it. What it's do you think probably, the lesson? I'm sorry, what do you think the lesson was? For me, um, well, I mean, I think the lesson was that you know you can't control everything that happens in your life, and you may think you've got it all orchestrated, and you know everything is as perfected as you can get it, but when it depends on anyone else. You know, you, and you have to learn what's within your control and what's not. And that was probably my biggest lesson.
1: So does that translate to sort of let go with the flow or or just let go and let God or, or I mean, well, not to be too pithy, but is that, I mean,
2: what sort of do you, does that distill down to? I think it's that I have the choice and okay. how I respond to things that are hard in life. And I have the choice of how I see it, whether I see it as a lesson or optimism, and that it's, you know, I'm, there is a limit to it if it's something bad happening. And so I think that's it, just really knowing what you can control control that which is generally how you respond to things and that's where as you go through one thing after another you begin to build that resilience and that grit so that when you you know when something else comes it's like that's okay been through something before similar or worse or whatever and my husband now Andrew always tells me that I'm very mentally tough and I didn't, I didn't really know, like, what does that mean? I, you know, I wasn't sure, but when we've gone through stressful times, you know, for our family, um, I'm just able to be calm and take things as they come because I I don't hang on to the past and I don't focus so much on the future that you're not living in the moment. Um, but I think those are, Those are lessons that kind of come over time. And you just have to remember that when you're going through a tough time.
0: So Carla, what I, you know, I've read your bio, listened to you, read, read your story. And one of the things that strikes me is that you and I have a lot of commonalities, right? We both study organizational management, leadership, um I, I did not know you were a Canfield success trainer um and so and then the, the, the philosophies uh, about life and and moving forward and what I've noticed is that you've taken your experience your education and have combined them right right really to to put together, uh, what you're doing and how you're helping people as a success coach. So how did those pieces finally come together for you so that you are helping other people to be the leader in their own life?
2: Well, you know, I think um, for me, you know, I am still a nursing leader. And I can tell you this last year has not been, the year to be a nursing leader <laughs> I will just say you know it's been so challenging but and I think for me when I became um, um, a success principles coach I remember thinking that I had to kind of choose one lane or the other and and I know Whitney from reading things about you and you have a lot of lanes that you are involved with and um very diverse than that. And I think that's where I was wrong in thinking that you have to do one or the other, because I think to be an effective leader, I have to be leading my own life. And that's, you know, was the big lesson I learned when I went through my divorce is that I was doing a great job leading my team, but I wasn't leading myself worth anything. And then once I started focusing on that, you and I think you have to to be a good leader and so then I realized that those principles and those things are very aligned and so I think that's what made me want to put together um, an online course and it I'm going to be launching it in a few days, being the leader in your in your own life and really what are some of those principles that you have to take from some of those leaders that you've always admired or looked up to and who are those best leaders that you've been around and then how do you emulate some of that for yourself and really putting your plan in place for what you want out of life, so that's um, where I think finally for me it was how can I take what I've learned in both respects and, and kind of forge them, whether I'm working with individuals or a team or in an organization or with just um, individuals one-on-one?
0: What do you find to be the a big challenge, maybe not the biggest challenges, but one of the biggest challenges that you have with people that you're working with in terms of you know, you have very much taken the lessons of your life, your, the experiences of your life um, to inform how you are a leader. How do you get other people to see that that's a path forward for them, particularly in terms of their leadership?
2: You know, I think, um, I think there are a couple of, of ways. I think it's really helping them talk through the situations and where they're feeling stuck in their life and really being able to identify what's blocking them. And what I often find, it's really that belief in yourself and that you can do things. And so I think if you help people put together a plan that's really gonna help them see success along the way, even if it's in little steps, then that's really going to help generate more self-belief and, you know, often people believe in you before you believe in yourself. And so I think it's really helping people learn to take feedback that they get from people, whether it's good or bad, and then really how can they respond to that and show up differently, whether it's in their personal life or at work.
0: Yeah, that's a good point uh, about other people seeing something in you before you see it often. I will credit this to Greer and my husband. My, I would say my writing career, um, when I was first invited to author a column, I had some hesitancy, some limiting beliefs about sure. whether or not people wanted to read what I had to say or you know, whether or not I would be able to find the words month after month in, in Greer's words, along with my husband, but Greer mostly was like, just say yes, this is something that you wanted to do, just say yes, and the words will come, right, right? and so having people who believe in, in you, and, and going back to your earlier point about the, the people that you surround yourself with. Right. Right. To have people who are positive and uplifting and encouraging um, is such a huge part of us being able to move through our challenges and our trials and helping us to see the possibilities so Mm -hmm. that we can take the steps that we need to Ultimately, be the leader in our own life because until we can lead ourselves, we right. cannot lead other people.
2: And, you know, and I think sometimes it's little things you can find yourself in a situation. I, you know, I had always been a pediatric nurse, and when I moved to Phoenix, I couldn't, they weren't hiring at the children's hospital when I moved here initially. And I remember taking a position at a community hospital that did a little bit of pediatrics, but what that translated to is suddenly we became a trauma. It was a level one trauma uh, center and we became uh, adult trauma nurses. So this floor of all pediatric nurses, we suddenly had to shift and become adult trauma, intermediate care nurses. And I remember thinking, how did I get here? Like, this is not what I wanna do, but I loved the people I worked with and I stayed there. And then I can remember vividly, helping my mom with a shower when she was at my house for hospice care. And, you know, she was weak and frail and trying to maneuver how I was going to do that. And honestly, I just remember sitting there thinking, okay, this is why I was an adult trauma nurse, because I had always done pediatrics, you know, if you need to get them to the shower, you pick them up and you take them to the shower. And suddenly, you know, I had an adult that was weak and how was I going to help her move without her falling and all these things that she was worried about. And I thought, okay, that's why I was an adult trauma nurse. So it's appreciating the things that you go through in life, because sometimes you don't know why you're going through it or why you're having that experience but it will reveal itself. And I think, you know, one of, one of my favorite things that Jack Canfield talks about is your commitment, the how will show up out of your commitment to the what. And so I think helping people see that if they stay committed to their dreams or what they want in life, you may not always know what all the steps that you should take but the how's going to show up and reveal itself. You just have to be open to it. And I feel like that's exactly what happened when I met Andrew. I didn't know Jack Canfield's teachings then, but I was committed to that life that I wanted. And I didn't know how it was going to all fall into place. I certainly didn't expect to meet somebody from England and get married six months later so you have no idea and you just have to be open to whatever
1: so I have one big question for you yes
2: how is motherhood well it's awesome (laughs) so I my girls are adolescents now so that's a whole different kind of parenting I'm learning it's true So you know, Andrea and I got married um, six months after we met, and we started trying to have kids right away because we we felt like we were getting old. And you know, I was old at the time. People have children older at later ages now than you know, 20 years ago when I was trying to do this. So you know, for Emma is my firstborn, and you know, I remember hearing the figures from the docs and you know oh you should probably start some fertility discussions because your your eggs are old and you know all that stuff that they say to you and and really to to get pregnant without any assistance there was really about a 5% chance that that would happen. And so I got pregnant not long after we had been married and I had a miscarriage and that was devastating. Cause I thought, Oh no, like, what does this mean? I'm never going to be able to have my own children, but I just knew that it was going to happen. And three months later is when we were able to try again. I got pregnant with Emma and she was actually born On the day a year later that i had my miscarriage and so if i hadn't had that miscarriage i wouldn't have my emma i would have some other child right and uh and then too i told andrea i was willing to try up until i was 42 because then i was just worried there was too much risk of um you know congenital and genetic uh problems so i got pregnant with keelan like three months before my 42nd birthday and so she really completed our family, and um, and that's the main thing. You know, I have so many people talk about, oh, I'm never going to have kids. I'm getting too old. And I'm like, oh no, no, like it's possible. Yeah. And Didn't Diana Ross have kids at fifty? And Gina Davis was like fifty or fifty-one. Probably. Or <laughs> I mean, there are more and more people. Now. I don't know that I
1: would wish that on my worst yeah. enemies, but you know. <laughs>
2: yes, I mean, it's so much it happens so yeah. much more now than it did then. But um, so, yeah, it's it's been, you know, everything that I wanted and expected and more because the partner that I have now is a much better dad. You're joking about, um, you know, makeup and would you let your husband put makeup on you? But, you know, throughout our um, our life you know, Andrew has worked his career around our girls so that I continued working. And he was really been a stay at home dad all this time. And so they got a bond with their dad that that some kids don't often get. And um, so that would have never happened with my first husband. It would have been like, I'm out of here. I got to work, you know, can't do that. I got to work. <laughs> so, yeah. um,
1: so That's I like think a whole full circle story. Yes, <laughs> yes, so, I mean, the, the bottom line is what you wanted all yeah, along. It, it was.
2: I just didn't get it the way that I expected. And it wasn't a straightforward path. It was winding and up and down and um scenic detours and uh then some not so scenic detours but in the end it was exactly or probably better than I envisioned really Uh,
0: and and that's what I was going to say you know as we wrap this up is that um and, and you're right things don't necessarily happen the way we envision them but you stay committed to the what And the how reveals itself. And if we are open to it, it often turns out better than we could have imagined in the first place, right? Um, You could have had children in your first marriage and ended up as a single mother, right? right? Instead of with a man who is the world's best dad right for your for your two daughters so carla we want to thank you so much for uh, being on life lemons and lemon drops it was a pleasure not only reading your story but hearing it from you directly and i'm so happy
2: for all that's uh, going on in your life well thank you i appreciate you guys i i enjoy listening to your podcast and uh, i appreciate you letting me share today
0: Thank you, thank you for joining us. So we will have information um, for how you can get in touch with Carla if you would like to um, work with her, reach out to her, Um, a link for the book, Women Who Empower, where you can read the totality of her story that's in the book and a link to her program, um, Be a Leader in Your Life, um, when that course is available. So again, thank you so much for joining us, Carla and Greer.
1: It was good seeing you again. Yay. It's, it's, today is a great day. Just <laughs> Absolutely. Don't, don't force it and just allow it to happen.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drop. Thanks for joining us for Life, Lemons, and Lemon Drops. If you like our show, please share with your friends. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever platform you listen to this podcast. Your questions, comments, and feedback are welcome. You can find out more about us at LifeLemonsLemonDrops.com.